Merry Christmas to you. I want to remind you guys that um, we do have service on uh, Tuesday night for uh, Christmas Eve. And I also want to remind you guys that it's okay to come to church more than once a week. Specifically if it's Christmas. So um, it would be great to have you guys there. I, Christmas Eve service is the type of thing that I, I will never, ever, ever, ever not go to. Because for me growing up, um, I think one of the greatest memories I have, one of the greatest things that uh, I remember about Christmas is Christmas Eve service. It's one of the special, um, special uh, touchstones for me as far as who I am in Christ, as far as who I am in my family, as far as who I am as it relates to the holiday season. Um, the church I grew up at, it was always, it was always a special event for me to, to, to get together as a family. And I, I mean, I can even think back and remember the times that I would uh, was getting ready to go to church for Christmas Eve, and it was it was dark, and all the all the light, lights were on in the Christmas tree, and we were kind of getting dressed up a little bit, and and as a family, we were kind of we were heading out, and and my mind was never on the presents at that point. It was really about going and, and being at church. And then we would always go to church, and at uh, my church, which is a tradition we've we've continued here at, at at Mercy Hill, at my church, at the end of the service, all the kids would always get. Um, would always get a uh, candy bar. So the, 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 the church would always buy these large um, Hershey's bars. And so for me, like, that was such a deep piece of my, my, my Christmas experience that I, I can't imagine missing Christmas Eve. Now, I do remember that one year they, they shifted, and I don't, I don't know if they got a deal on this or whatever, but they got these, like, candy jellies, and they handed out these boxes of these candy jellies instead of Hershey's, Hershey's uh, candy bars, which just about ruined my entire... Christmas that year, but I think back, and that's what I remember, you know, and it's funny because as I, as I think about that, I contrast it to the conversation we've been having over the last several weeks, right, as we've been talking about the idea of the gifts of the Advent, of, uh, of, the, of the reflection on the gifts of the Advent, and how for me, as I thought back on all the gifts I received, I don't remember them the way I remember that, what I, how I just described my Christmas Eve experience, right, that, that I've been saying over the last several weeks that for, for the years of growing up, all those times of running downstairs and, and, and sliding in under the Christmas tree to try and find my packages, and you, you have enough that they, that they stacked up around you, you could hardly see over them. I, I got present after present after present after present after present from as far back as I was three, four, five years of age, all the way until I left the house, and I couldn't remember any of them. Well, that's not true if you guys remember. There's one I remembered. How many of you guys remember which one that was? My Hamburglar doll, that was it. I, I didn't remember any of those. And so as I said, as we've been going through the series, I, I reflect on that and, and I really believe that for a lot of us, our experiences as it relates to the gifts that came as a result of Jesus Christ are very much like that experience for me as it, as it relates to the gifts I received as a kid. That we so often will, 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 will come to these gifts from Christ, the, the gift of hope, the gift of peace, the gift of, of joy, the gift of love. And we initially come to them with such enthusiasm, with such excitement, believing that my relationship with Christ will provide this for me. And so we receive them, and, and even for a while we enjoy them. But almost inevitably we revert back to the old life, we revert back to the old habits, and we find ourselves in our lives unable to find joy in the midst of the struggle. We find ourselves unable to find peace in the midst of the chaos of our lives. 
We find ourselves without any hope in the middle of circumstances that at times can really, really crush us. And for most of us, we've completely lost touch with the love that Christ embodies, the love that Christ, the, the love that Christ lays out for us, a love that is selfless, a, a love that serves others, a love that is unwavering. So for a lot of us, we have this picture of who Jesus Christ is so often in the, in the initiation of our faith. Maybe it's even when we, when, we, when we come on a Sunday morning. But over time, we lose sight of it and we forget about it. And the benefits of who Christ is, the benefits of why Christ came, is lost. As I've been going through this series, what I've been explaining to you guys is that it's my desire that, that we rediscover in this, in this season the great gifts that have been afforded us because of Jesus Christ coming. As I said, we, we've discussed hope and we've discussed peace and we've discussed joy. We're going to continue this morning as we come to the final of the four gifts, probably the one that I think is most important for us to really grasp, particularly as we try to live what Christ has called us to live. This is the one that expands beyond just what's taking place within us. But it really transforms, it really changes the way in which we interact with the others. And that's a reflection on the love that came because of Jesus Christ. Now love, for a lot of us, can be a very perplexing idea. In fact, I would say for every one of us at some point, the concept of love has, has um, caused questions more than it's provided answers. Um, whenever I talk about the topic of love, uh, I can't help but be drawn to the words um, written by Cole Porter in 1929. Because he wrote a song and he said this, What is this thing called love? This funny thing called love. Just who can solve this mystery? Why should it make a fool of me? That's why I asked the Lord in heaven above, what is this thing called love? Do you see why I read those words and why whenever I come to the concept of, 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 of love and we try and contemplate love, I'm drawn to those words? Because I think it really des describes very much what a lot of us experience as it relates to the conversation of love. What is this thing called love? Uh, what, what does it really mean? What, how, what, what, is it, what does it really take? What, what are we talking about here? I think the last line even makes the most sense. I ask the Lord in heaven above, what is this thing called love? That's got to be our starting point, I think. We see people driven by, pursued by, inspired by, destroyed by this thing called love. And yet, do we really understand love? Do we really get what, what love is? Is it, is it a feeling? Is it a desire? Is it an experience? Is it an action? Is love something that, that comes on us? Something that overtakes us? Is it something we plan, prepare for? Is it something maybe we even create? Love is such a, a central theme in, in all that we see. And, and yet, I'm not even sure we, we, we have an understanding of it. I, I, I'm pretty convinced we don't have a uniformed understanding of it. 
Love is something that we share between human beings, that we share in relationship. Whether it's between a husband and wife, or, or parents and children, or brothers and sisters in Christ, or, or, or friends or neighbors or cousins. Love is something we share, that, we, that, that is shared between two people. And yet, I don't think we have a, a, a common understanding of what love is. What it means. How it's expressed. And that's a, that's a really disconcerting place to be, isn't it? It's no wonder we don't get it. It's no wonder that we don't have problems within it. It's very much like, it's very much like when you go to a, another country where they speak another language and you only kind of understand it. You ever been there? I, uh, yeah, you've, you've been there, haven't you? Uh, I, I've spent a lot of time in Italy over the, uh, over the years, and I've picked, up, I've picked up enough Italian just to be a little dangerous, I think, to get myself in trouble. And it really is one of those things that, like, over time, it wears on you. Because you're, you're, you, you feel, you feel kind of connected and yet isolated. You're, you're constantly trying to figure out, like, what... What, what, are they, what are they trying to understand? What are, what are they trying to say? What, what, how do I get them to understand what I'm trying to say? And so even if, you, even if you get to points where you're connecting in conversations, it's drawing from you, man. It is, it, you, you, this is something you can be okay with for seven days or ten days, but spend 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, and man, are you exhausted and tired. Did I just describe for you your situation as it relates to interacting in love with people sometimes? Where, where, where you, you're trying to figure out how to connect with somebody, and sometimes you kind of are, and sometimes you're not really sure if you are, but regardless of what's taking place, it, has, it, just, draws, it just drains you. It just makes you tired. And eventually you're like, man, I just don't want to do this anymore. I think part of the problem is because so many of us are drawn to the concept of love. So many of us desire the idea of love. So many of us want to be in this place of, of loving others and being loved by others. And yet we don't really understand what it is. And, and wrestling with this understanding is important because the need for love, I think, is written in our human soul. It, it's, so, it's so central to who we are. Frank Howard Clark, a screenwriter from the early years of American movies, said this, A baby is born with the need to be loved and never outgrows it. And I think that aptly captures the state of human existence. We desire to be loved from the day we are born until the day we die. And I think this conversation is profoundly important for us today because I think at the crux of much struggle and controversy is this definition of love. What is love? And since Advent traditionally reflects on love brought at the coming of Christ that first Christmas day, I think we need to wrestle with specifically the definition of love. What is this love that was anticipated with the first Advent and what is this love we received as he is coming? I want to draw your attention um, to 1 John chapter 4, the Advent reading we read this morning. Because I think it gives us a great starting point for understanding what love is. 
I always love John's approach specifically to the coming of Christ. I always love John's approach to, to the birth of Christ, really. Christ entering into this world. We can read the narratives in Matthew, and, and we can read the narratives in, in Luke. Um, that's, one, that's where we, Christmas Eve, you'll come, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the story of Jesus Christ coming. And it's, and it's in Luke that you, you, you hear the story of, of the virgin birth, and you hear the story of the visitation of the angels, and you hear the story of, of, of the angels coming before the, the, the shepherds and, and declaring that Jesus was coming. And we hear the stories of the wise men. And, and, and Matthew and Luke, you get this, this great narrative story of the birth of Jesus Christ. But what I love about John is how he approaches the birth of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, he, he simply describes it as the true light came into the world. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He wasn't animated by, by the narrative as much as he was moved by the meaning of Jesus Christ coming. The light that entered the dark of the world. A word, uh, the truth, that became human and dwelt among us. He has a similar description to the birth of Jesus Christ here in 1 John chapter 4. In this, he, he reflects not on, the, not on the narrative of the birth of Christ, but the impact of his incarnation. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you see John's description of the coming of Christ? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. I want you to think about that because we're going to talk about it a little bit more later. But in this, in the, the birth of that, that baby boy, in the birth of that baby boy on that Christmas Eve, was made manifest the love of God. Of God. John in this passage, I think, does, does us a great service to each of us as, as, we, as we contemplate the gifts given by Christ in his Christmas coming. Particularly here as, as, we, as we struggle to, to define what love is. And I think particularly as, as John relates the coming of God into the world. The love of God was made manifest. The love of God was made manifest. Now think about those words. The love of God was, was, was shown. The love of God came alive. The love of God was made manifest in the coming of the Son. That, that he's saying to us here is, if you want to know what God's love looks like, if you want to know what God's love is, it was manifested that Christmas night. It, it was shown, it was, it was revealed, it, it, it came alive. It, it, this mirrors what John said. The light entered the world. The, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The love of God was manifested. The love of God put on flesh. And if you want to see what God's love is, 
It is in the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ. The love of Christ came alive. The love of God came alive in Christ in that manger. Now, we can't, we, we, we can't treat this reality. We can't treat this truth. Like I treated my toys, and like so many of you treat the toys you received as kids growing up. We can't simply all acknowledge it. We, 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 we can't take joy in this declaration, this, in this moment, and in this season, and then walk away from it. Because the particular nature of God's love manifested in Jesus Christ is essential for our everyday life. John reveals the nature of that love, and, and, he, and he leads us to the essential need for this in every single day, every single interaction, every single relationship we have. As Christians, we have a, a, a deep and different understanding of love that we are led to by the nature of the season. As I said earlier, we are, we are born with the need for love. But it is a very special kind of love. It is, a, it, is a, it is a kind of love that we re rarely find in our human existence. In fact, I would almost argue you never find in your human existence. Outside the manifestation of God's love in Jesus Christ. I think Victor Hugo actually explains it well when he says, The greatest happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved. Loved for ourselves or rather loved in spite of ourselves. And I think that's right. That we are created inherently to desire and seek love. And not just any kind of love, but a love that transcends deservedness. This is really an important conversation. It's a really important thought. Because how many of you truly when you get down to it, when you look yourself in the mirror, when it's just you and yourself in a room somewhere, thinking about who you are, thinking about the darkest thoughts you have, how many of you really think you deserve to be loved? And this is the reason why love is such a frustrating enterprise, I think, in the world around us. The love we see in this world is selfish. It, it is selfish in, in our culture and it is selfish in our sinful human incarnation. And really think about it. It's true, right? When we look at the stories, and we look at the stories of people falling in love, when we look at the stories uh, of, of relationships, when we see them depicted all over the place, it always starts, it's always rooted in what do, what do they do for me? How do they make me feel? Oh, Every time I see her, I feel. Every time I'm around him, I have butterflies in my stomach. I just, it just, oh, he completes me. Oh, she makes me feel, right? And then what do we see within the context of our society and within the context of our culture? When those feelings stop, what happens? So does the relationship, right? 
When we stop getting from that person what we want, when we stop getting from that person what we feel, how often our relationships, our, our, our relationships come, come, come to fruition because somebody wants something from the other person. And it's all varying degrees of trying to get. And when we stop receiving from those individuals that which we want or that which we enjoy or that which we feel, you know, we just fell out of love. But the need, the, the need we have is, as Tim Keller says, to be fully known yet truly loved. That, that people know who we are, that they know all of our warts, they know our imperfections, they know the darkness of our souls and yet still love us. That we can live in a place of security, a secure love that says, it doesn't matter, I still love you. See, that is one of the, the foundational truths about God's love manifested in Christ that is revealed in this passage. The idea that we are fully known, yet truly loved. As I read this passage, it just seems very clear to me that John is trying to get us to understand that this is the kind of love we experience because of the coming of Christ. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifested. Again, the manifestation of God's love, the, the, the living of God's love, the putting on flesh of God's love. In Christ. And this is what he says. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You see, here is the first defining marker of the nature of God's love manifested in Jesus Christ. It's here, and it's also in the second half of verse 10 that when it says, he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. See, I can read this passage and I understand God truly loves me. You know why I know he truly loves me? Because the love that he is manifesting in Christ, the love that he is showing for each one of us is a love that is active, a love that is giving, a love that has flesh on it, a love that is serving me. He doesn't sit here and say, what do you do for me? He doesn't sit there and say, what can I get from you? The love of God is manifested in this, that he sent his son, that he gave his son, that he sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the replacement, to be the sacrifice for our sins. God so truly loved you God so deeply loved you that he sat back and said, this is what they need. And I'm willing to give to them that which is most precious to me. He didn't, he didn't say, what do I get from them? What feeling does it give me? What do I receive? He said, because of my grace, because of my mercy, because of my love, my love will be manifested in the gift of my son. Not because I want anything from it, but simply because I truly, truly love them. 
you read this passage and what you get from this is that God truly loved us. The manifestation of God's love in Jesus Christ was a love that transcends anything you see in this world. He simply says, because of my love, I'll meet your need. He says, because of my love, I'll be active, I'll give. Because of my love, I'll serve you. See, true love is that. It is giving of yourself sacrificially to the object of your affection. It's not just saying you feel something. It's not just saying you have something. True love is active sacrifice for the good of those that you love. Not only does this passage reveal the first half of the equation, being truly loved, that first half that we, we so desperately seek, but the love of God manifested provided the second half, to be truly loved while fully known. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, in this passage, John reveals the depth of God's love. And he says, the depth of God's love was not dependent on the breadth of our deservedness. He says, while we were still sinners, while, while, we, while we didn't love Him, He sent His Son. He manifested His love to you. Not because you loved Him. Not because you deserved Him. Not because, not because you did the right thing. But simply because He loved. It wasn't because we loved Him. It was because He loved us. As I say, this passage mirrors, it mirrors what we see in Romans chapter 8. When Paul writes and says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, the love of God was manifested in the gift of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and actually, Romans 5 takes it even further when he says, while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled by the death of his son. So, so, what, so the passage is saying here, while you were still a sinner, while, while you were an enemy of God in your sin, not because you loved him, but because he loved you, he sent his son as an expression of his love. The, the, the passage is basically telling us, the passage is saying to us, guys, he knows you're a sinner. He knew you were a sinner. He knew you, were re you rejected him. He knew the darkness of your heart while you were yet a sinner. That means that Jesus Christ, that God, looked through every one of our hearts, looked through every one of our souls, looked into every dark corner of our lives and said, these people are sinners. And yet I'm going to manifest my love by sending a son to meet their needs so that they may know that they are my children. When we come to this passage, when we come to this, we begin to understand what love is. 
the greatest expression, the greatest definition, the greatest manifestation the world has ever known, that we will ever know, the truest experience of being truly loved and fully known is the love communion we enjoy in Christ because of his coming on that Christmas night. He knows you deeply. He knows you're a sinner. He knows the darkness of your heart. He knows your brokenness. And yet, while you were still a sinner, while you were an enemy of God, not because you loved him, but because he loved you, his love was manifested in the coming of Jesus Christ. What an incredible truth, right? What an incredible reality. Now, here's the thing, though. And here's the point of it all. If we stand here this this morning and we celebrate this love gift, if we rejoice in this love manifestation, if we amen and sing praises, and when we are done, we walk away not carrying the truth of this into every single day, into every single encounter, into every single experience, the truth of this love manifested in Christ and given through Christ will have as much value as that Hamburglar doll has for me today. You can't forget where 1 John goes in this passage. He spells out the truth that God's love is manifested in Christ, that that love is selfless and serves to redeem us, and that love is not deserved. And out of that truth, out of that declaration, he says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's a translation from what he did to what we need to do. In fact, the context of this entire passage of John 4 is the encouragement to love others. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. The lead-in and the outro of the concept of the picture of love that God lays out is, because of this love, because he so loved you, now it's time to love others. He creates in this passage the platform. He creates in this passage the foundation. He creates in this, in this passage the launching pad from which we can now begin to love others the way God defines it in his word. This is so important because what is taking place here is John knowing that call to love others in a way that is not normal, that is not found in our humanity, brings us to the totality of love we have in Jesus Christ. He's wanting us to know you are fully known and you are fully loved, so now go love people. Do you see the connection? Do you see the importance of this? Do you see how this matters in our every, everyday life? Do you, do you know, do you know how this, why this matters now in a relationship between a husband and wife? between brothers and sisters in Christ, between anybody we're having interactions with. You see, the most difficult part of loving others is the insecurity that comes with your vulnerability. 
What we do is we step into these relationships with broken people and we try to love them and we try to give them love. And what happens is we keep getting kicked in the teeth. We open ourselves up to others selflessly, tenderly, vulnerably. And because we are engaging with broken humanity, it is almost impossible to keep manifesting that selfless love. And I know that as I've said this, each of you can connect to experiences you had as it relates to this. It happens in marriages. Over time, what erodes marriages, over time, what, what finishes marriages, over time, what ends marriages is, is, is someone or, or both people trying to give to the other and being kicked in the teeth in response, being betrayed, being mistreated, being put down. And what happens is essentially, essentially that wears on your soul because what you've done is you've put your hope for love in that person. You've put your hope for being fully known and totally loved in that person and they keep coming back in a way that rejects you. How many of you have experienced this in your history in church? How often have we come to this place and heard the stories of how we are brothers and sisters in Christ and that we have a special connection and a special love and a special relationship? And so we, so we try and live in that place. And we, try and, make our, and we make ourselves vulnerable to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we have this expectation because they're Christians that somehow they're no longer, they're no longer broken They'll no longer screw up. They'll no longer make mistakes. And then it, it, it hits us so deeply. I've had this conversation with people in the past and they've talked about, you know, how come, how come you see all these like tragic breakups? How come you see all these, the, 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 these tragic issues within church? I, I don't see that in the business world. Well, there's a reason for that. There's no expectation of a special love relationship in the business world. We all know we all know what the, what the foundation, what the, what, what the value system is in the business world, right? If you can make me money, we're good. If you can't make me money, we're no longer good. But we enter into these love relationships that we think are, are special. And then when we face the pain of it, we withdraw. You see, John is trying to get us to understand that the love that we sought, the love that fully knew us and yet truly loved us, is in Jesus. And if we stay rooted and grounded in that reality, we're then empowered, we're then enabled to step out into a relationship, into a love expression that isn't dependent on broken people. solidify this point, what do you think Ephesians 3 means? For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, 
being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul, in this passage, is encouraging the church to be the church, to reveal the gospel, to live in the face of persecution. And then he says that being rooted and grounded in love, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. He's saying from that understanding, to know the depths of it, you will then be able to be that church. There is nothing in all of the teachings of the Bible that will empower you to live what we are called to than being rooted and grounded in God's love for you. It provides our identity. It shows us our value. It becomes our comfort. And it is our strength. This was the greatest lesson. And I think the final lesson that my mom taught me before she passed. For a lot of you, you you knew my mom. For a lot of you guys, had, you guys, some of you were friends with my mom. And my mom was, was, was a wonderful woman of God. From the time I was about seven or eight years of age, she gave her heart to the Lord. And she deeply loved the Lord, and as a result of that, she loved others. And she would give of herself to others. And she would, and she would sacrifice of herself for others as an expression of that love. But for years and years and years, there was a lack of peace in her heart and a lack of peace in her spirit as it related to her relationships with others. You see, if people didn't respond the way she thought they should respond, she would get upset. If people didn't show love to her the way she showed love towards them, she would be hurt. And you constantly saw this turmoil in her and these, these little fights here and there. You saw them all throughout her walk with Christ. You saw them all throughout her walk with her family. Until the last five years of her life. And you saw a peace that came over her like I'd never seen before in her life. I remember the time mom pulled me aside in her, in her apartment and she said, I want to tell you something that God's been saying to me. She said, I was in prayer and I heard Jesus Christ say to me, Mary, let me love you. She said, so I've been time, time I've been trying this whole time to just let go and let Jesus love me. Her message to, to her family, her message to her friends, her message to anyone who would listen for the last five of years, years of her life was let Jesus love you. Now, what she's saying there is not that somehow we're blocking Jesus' love from us. The Word of God is really clear. The Word of God says nothing can separate us from the love of God. But what she was trying to get us to understand was this. We have to be fully aware 
of the depth of Christ's love for us. Because when we are, we are able to love the way Christ has called us to love others. Not dependent on how they respond. Not dependent on what they give us. Not dependent on whether or not they, they respond in a way that makes us feel good. Or the way we think they should love us. But simply to love. Because we know that we are rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ that truly knows us and truly loves us. I want us to go to worship in a few moments. And I want you to take that time of worship as an opportunity to bask in the love of Christ. But what I want you to know is this. If you're here this morning and you are struggling to love your husband or love your wife the way you know you're supposed to, I want you to know something. It's not because your husband or your wife isn't good enough, it's because you don't know the love of Christ good enough. If you're struggling this morning with your relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, who the Word of God says we are to love, I want you to know it's not because your brother or sister in Christ isn't good enough. But it's because you don't know the depth of Christ's love for you good enough. My challenge to you today is this. Know the depths of his love for you. Be rooted and grounded in the depths of his love for you. It wasn't because you were good enough. It wasn't because you were smart enough. It wasn't because you were spiritual enough. But the love of God was manifested in Jesus Christ. It's because he chose you. He called you. He drew you. Your value and your worth and your identity is in that love. Be rooted and grounded and love others.